0: Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to today's webinar, Key Findings from COSIN 2022 K-12 IT Leadership Survey. Uh, I'm Paula Malon. I am a project director for COSIN and author of the uh, report. Joining me today, uh, hopefully, <laughs> will be Keith Buchwald, uh Chief Information Officer from Hillsdale Township High School School District 86 from the Great School state of Illinois, and COSIN's own Robert Duke, who is our chief operating officer. Before we get started, I'd wanna make sure that we thank our partners. Uh, They're the ones who really make this uh, not only webinar, but the report itself possible. We'll start with findings from cybersecurity. Uh, Cybersecurity has been ranked the top technology priority for K-12 IT leaders for the past five years. Respondents were asked to rate the perceived network security risk for various threat types. It was surprising that each of these risks were not perceived to be greater. The most common rating for any of these threats was either medium risk or low medium risk. Of the seven threats on the survey, four were considered low or low medium risk by most respondents. Phishing scams with 12% was the only threat perceived as high risk by more than 10% of respondents. Yet according to experts, that is the primary way in which cyber thieves are accessing school networks. Only 8% of respondents feel they're at high risk for ransomware attacks. The most frequently used methods for improving cybersecurity are IT staff training with 65% and end user training with 63%. While it would be better if these percentages were 100%, it's a good sign that the percentages closely align. It suggests that most districts recognize that cybersecurity is not just the purview of the IT department. As the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency advises, it's going to take all of us to really protect the systems we all rely on.
1: Good afternoon. And I'm gonna take this from a different, um, slightly different lens. Uh, As you know, this survey is distributed to school districts around the country, varying in different sizes. My lens is the peer review program that we have and we typically are looking at medium and small and some large uh, school districts, but a much smaller sample. So I'm going to relate some of the um, things we've learned while looking at a school district uh, about these topics. The, with regard to cybersecurity practice, what we have found is that most schools are doing a lot of phishing training, um, but there doesn't seem to be much follow-up in terms of circling back and training those people that consistently fail those tests, the the phishing email tests. Uh, Most districts have a cloud backup system, so they're following that best practice. Uh, We do not see nearly enough end user training though in cybersecurity that is beyond the phishing test. Other common recommendations that we, we do make through the peer review program are increase uh, increased in staff training uh, in multi-factor thought, authentication uh, regular pen testing confidential ransomware planning and all hazards continuity
0: Only a fifth of districts have full-time equivalent employee dedicated to network security, and that's about the same percentage as last year. Um, This means that cybersecurity protection is kind of a part-time responsibility for a large majority of districts. In lieu of full-time cybersecurity position, districts address cybersecurity in a variety of ways. A third of districts include the responsibility as part of another job, and this is virtually at the same rate as the prior year. The results for ad hoc and other strategies also closely mirrored last year's results. However, significant change is seen in the reduction of the shared responsibility approach in which cybersecurity functions are carried out by more than one employee. This year, only 34% of structured cybersecurity management in this way compared to 53% the prior year. More districts have implemented outsourcing strategies instead. Outsourcing is used by 21% of districts, 7% to a public service organization or to a school district entity, and 14% to a private sector provider. In 2021, just 6% of districts outsourced. These cyber attacks become more sophisticated, greater expertise is needed to combat them, and the demand for those skills is also increasing. Globally, there's a cybersecurity skill shortage with more cybersecurity job openings than qualified candidates to fill them. As school districts will be hard-pressed to offer salaries that compete with the private sector for a small, small pool of cybersecurity expertise, we'd suspect that the use of outsourcing solutions will only continue to grow.
1: And this is an area where COSIN is trying to dig a little deeper. We have a, a grant to look at Uh, a small grant to look at some additional, uh, gather more information on cybersecurity staffing. Uh, We are also uh, working on a new Blaschke report um, this summer that will also focus on that topic. Uh, So there will be more data available in the early fall that we can share back with uh, uh, Cozen members. Peer reviewers are currently recommending the districts dedicate staffing to the management of cybersecurity, and for smaller districts, this recommendation is usually around a half-time FTE. And for you know medium to large districts, this is at least a, a full FTE position. I know that's a, a, a large investment, but the demonstrated magnitude of this threat uh, does warrant this kind of investment in, in uh, security.
0: Districts, without, um, districts with cybersecurity insurance um, are 62%. Um, another 3% are planning to purchase. Having cyber insurance is really a best practice um, of cybersecurity experts advise um, because it's really a matter of when, not if, an organization will experience an incident. Of those with insurance, 38% are covered as part of a comprehensive umbrella policy, and almost a quarter, 24% of districts purchase separate cybersecurity policies. What's sort of changing in the policy, um, cybersecurity policy insurance area um, is that Um, Because districts are being really targeted, um, there are now increased requirements to either get the insurance um, or to get a payout from the insurance. And often that includes things that you have that that training um, and that uh, you have policies in place that you can prove it. Um, One aspect that has also come up uh, is that they request that you don't advertise you have insurance uh, because that actually makes you more of a target. Many students had limited access to robust digital tools, both at the school and and at home. So before I go into the survey results, um, I just wanted to point everyone to COSIN's resources uh, that were developed to support district equity initiatives. And you can find those resources, uh, including a downloadable digital equity toolkit under the EdTech topic session on COSIN's homepage. Most districts have implemented one-to-one programs across all grade levels. The middle schools have the highest rate of implementation with 86%, followed by high schools with 83%. These percentages represent a significant increase in implementation since 2020 when this question last appeared on the survey. Greater increases occurred in the elementary schools. This year, one-to-one implementation at grades 3 to 5 is 81%, closely mirroring those of high schools. The implementation rate for grades K-2 is 73%. While a direct comparison to the 2020 results is not possible uh, for the elementary school results as they were not segmented by grade level um, in prior years, the combination of grades K-5 through had a one-to-one implementation rate of only 43%. The contrast in results between the two surveys. So a dramatic overall movement towards increased one-to-one in the elementary grades.
1: So with the pandemic, we, we did notice that many districts accelerated their one-to-one planning uh, or their implementation uh, of one-to-one. They, they purchased LMS systems. They made all these investments in remote learning. Now there's gonna be a financial hangover because the grant money's gone. And districts are wondering how are they going to pay to sustain these, device, these devices over time? Um, and so that's become the preeminent question. And a lot of, lot of uh, districts are struggling with uh, how do we keep these devices current?
0: Yeah, because after five years, you're going to need another set. You probably Yeah. Um, so despite the considerable progress having been made uh, with the homework gap, um, it still persists. Only 5% of respondents work in districts where all their students have adequate broadband access at home, and only 7% reported that most of their students had adequate access at home.
1: And I think a a good portion of this uh, very low number does have to do with rural school districts where it's nearly impossible to reach, uh, um, you know, a significant part of the county that you're serving. Um, So towards this end, COSIN has done a home connectivity study that is available in our resource center right now that'll allow you to take a deeper dive into this. And that study is continuing. So we will be releasing more information on, on how this particular problem is being addressed in some areas. And we also have a blog on the COSIN website that highlights how one school district in California Uh, address this problem by building their own LTE network. Now, I realize that's a high-end solution for many communities and maybe beyond their means, but that is one way of addressing the the rural divide. Uh,
0: This slide uh, shows some of the strategies that districts are currently using. Uh, The the vast majority uh, employ a variety of strategies to help students access broadband at home. Uh, With 67%, the most popular method is providing Wi-Fi hotspots. However, some respondents commented that the LTA hotspots in some regional areas have been ineffective uh, and the coverage was less than had been advertised. Another 10% of districts partner with libraries to provide loaner hotspots. A third promote federal broadband benefit programs for low-income families. About a quarter promote provider-sponsored services at reduced monthly rates. And 19% provide free or subsidized access to low families directly. 14% 14% of districts provide Wi-Fi on school buses, 12% provide free or subsidized wireless access to the community, and 5% use other strategies not specified on this survey. There are several barriers to students accessing remote instruction from home. Connections that are too slow for multiple users in the household was the number one problem that was cited. During the pandemic, students were competing with their own siblings and parents for access over Wi-Fi and their routers could not keep up with the bandwidth um, demand. Ranked second was the inability of families to get access to the internet because of location. An internet service that is too expensive for families was ranked as a third major challenge. When asked to rate the importance of features for new or refreshed devices, the overwhelming majority, 98%, said sufficient capacity to run video conferencing applications was important, including 58% who said it was very important. This result is not unexpected due to the reliance on video during remote learning. This data reinforces the finding of COSIN student home connectivity study, uh, which Robert just mentioned, um, which looked at 750,000 students in 13 school districts and found that 87% of bandwidth by students learning from home was for video.
1: Our, we, our review program has seen some uh, dedicated technology staffs addressing these problems in particular. And when we interview different stakeholder groups, uh, the parents in particular that we interview, uh, they will say, well, here I am dealing with remote learning. I'm stuck at home and I don't know how to work with technology for my, my son or daughter. Um, we have seen several districts that during the pandemic, they were able to set up special hotlines or special resources geared towards parents to assist in this process. Um, So remember your parents, they're struggling too.
0: Yeah, and just because it was understaffed uh, doesn't mean that they didn't try, uh, as you know, as Robert uh, pointed out. Um, and in fact, this was the only the second year where we asked this question. Prior, um, it wasn't a a, a priority uh, pre-pandemic, um, but it is one that they they uh, they struggle with. You know, basically, IT departments went from having one district uh, network to support to uh, supporting all the household networks of their students and their teachers. When it comes to IT leadership profiles, um, we find that IT leaders are still overwhelmingly white and predominantly male. Though there appears to be an uptrend in women holding IT leader positions over the past three years, increasing to 34% in 2022, this year's survey, compared to 25% in the 2020 survey. While the question about salary had a relatively large percentage of opt-outs, that's that do not provide level at the bottom, uh, the responses provided make apparent a non-metropolitan divide. In rural areas, 59% of the IT leaders' salaries are under $100,000. In towns, 62% of IT leaders earn less than $100,000. This compares to suburban areas where 25% earn less than $100,000 and urban areas where just 20% of IT leaders earn under $100,000. A distinct metro divide is also seen when we look at the highest salary ranges. Only 2% of IT leaders in rural environments and 4% of those in towns earn at least $130,000 as compared to 24% in suburban districts and 31% in urban districts. And respondents from urban districts were the only segment to report salaries more than $200,000. While most IT leaders are in their 40s and 50s, and there is an expected correlation between age and number of years to retirement, the percentage of those planning to retire in the next five years is a significant 31%. When we look at retirement plans um, uh, impacted from the pandemic, we find that 12% are planning to retire early because of the pandemic. The vast majority of respondents, however, made no changes in their retirement plans, and a hearty few, 3%, are deferring their retirement to a later date due to the pandemic. This is a quote from one of the survey respondents. Everything is moving to a networked solution. Alarm system doors, even HVAC are now a responsibility of the IT department because it's networked, but our staff has not increased to keep up with the demand. And I just wanted to share this quote because it highlights the expanding scope of responsibilities that IT leaders have had to contend with on top of those responsibilities posed by the global pandemic. This year's survey had an expanded section on procurement. IT leaders are involved in selection of digital content. More than half have heavy involvement in the procurement of digital instructional materials, including the 19% who serve as the final decision maker, meaning that products can't be purchased without their approval. District IT leadership play an essential role in determining how and if curriculum software and related assets can be integrated into the digital ecosystem. In adoption decisions, issues such as interoperability and data security are as important as the efficacy of the instructional materials. District IT leaders often have a more complete picture of what curriculum materials are being used throughout the school system, and their insights are important for long-term procurement planning and licensing renewals. When it comes to free tools, a large majority of districts have processes in place for reviewing and allowing the introduction of free tools into their digital ecosystem. However, there are still 22% of districts that don't have any processes.
1: And about a third of the districts that we've talked to have a formalized review um, for reviewing apps in particular, including free apps. A lot of districts we have talked to take a laissez-faire approach to free apps when uh, those apps really should be part of this uh, process as well to ensure that data privacy is secured.
0: When making technology purchasing decisions, there are many places IT leaders can look for information. Most look to their colleagues with almost half finding colleague referrals extremely helpful and two thirds finding them very helpful. More than a third of respondents, however, rated vendor emails not at all helpful, making them the least helpful source of information for technology purchases. However, it is not clear that this low rating is due to the content of the emails or the use of email as the medium to communicate the content. Here are the full results, and and you can see that all sources of information are used to some extent, including those vendor emails, where more than half of the respondents found them to be at least somewhat helpful. To enable schools modernized infrastructure to work effectively, efficiently, and securely, interoperability is essential. Single sign-on is the most implemented interoperability initiative. While a majority of districts have implemented data and content interoperability initiatives to some extent, 56 and 54% respectively, less than one in 10 have fully implemented either one. Half of districts have partially or fully implemented analytics tools With the fully implemented rate at at the common rate of 8%. In 80% of districts, IT leaders report that they are taking steps for interoperability improvement. Educating stakeholders is the most common method employed with 42% educating IT staff, 40% educating administrators, and 39% educating instructional leaders. 28% of districts convey interoperability requirements to vendors. More than a quarter are modifying their procurement processes to ensure there is IT involvement. However, there are many factors that can serve as obstacles as districts seek to increase data interoperability. Lack of awareness or understanding of the issues by instructional leaders, was the most common barrier cited by 44 percent of respondents, followed by budget constraints, lack of staff expertise, complexity of the work, and limited staff capacity.
1: And this is where our field experience differs from the larger survey data. Uh, what we found um, when we've talked to school districts on site is that the real barriers are, well, their barriers in this small, smaller data set is complexity of the work and limited full-time FTE staff capacity. Uh, Those are their barriers to making more change around interoperability. Um,
0: So that wraps up the the highlights or the stats of the slides that we have for you. Obviously there is more in the report itself. Um, If you have any questions, please uh, insert them into the chat window uh, or make a note of my email there. You can can send them as as follow-up questions. Um, One question we often receive is will these slides be available, Um, and indeed a link to this recording and its slides uh, will be sent to you um, um, at the completion of of this webinar. Um, And of course, we encourage you to download the report. There's a QR code there um, that you can snap that will bring you to the URL um, that is listed below. Uh, And just a couple of announcements Uh, before I go, I wanted to encourage you to take a look at COSIN's event calendar. Um, It has upcoming webinars, courses, workshops, and others. Um, And the two listed here are coming up in the next next two weeks. So you'll want to look out for those. And of course, before we end, I have to give another shout out to our survey partners. Um, It really cannot be overstated how valuable their support has been um, on not only this webinar, but in doing the report itself. And of course, thank you for attending. This concludes our webinar.